And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show. Let me preface this by saying we did have about 20 minutes of chat there that wasn't recording because I didn't press the record button properly. And it was properly. good stuff too. And it was good stuff too. That is a voice you will be very familiar with. Today's guest is uh, one of the most loved guys on Australian television. He is the host of the morning show on Channel 7. He is also the hall pass for middle-aged women <laughs> everywhere. It is Mr. Larry Emder. <laughs> when you say middle-aged, that we're, there's like 85 plus, right? No, 95 plus. <laughs> You are very big in nursing homes, Larry. <laughs> yes, you are huge. Um, I let's. I mean, let's just forget about all the stuff that we just spoke about before right. I press record. And I want to go. Th- this show is all about the sort of early days and, and getting into the career and how you went about it. And you've been on the telly for so many years. T- tell me, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to do media? Because you got no, started no, so long. No, not at all. Not at all. I was um, bad at school. I was real. I failed everything at school and. The reason for that is I would surf every day. I'd go before school and after school and sometimes during school, Mm -hmm. which led to the end (laughs) of my sort of time at school. And so then I just had to go and get a job that allowed me to surf. And that job was as a copy boy at a newspaper working overnight. A copy boy back in the day was emptying ashtrays and getting journos coffee and right, a taking broken typewriters to the typewriter mechanic like it was this crazy low life job but i worked from 10 o'clock at night till six in the morning and then i would surf all day so it, it suited me did you basically just get, leave school because you left school at 15 yeah it was more of a can you leave than a left it was, was like it? well yeah i mean it was, the, the uh, principal called my parents in and said look this isn't for larry he's not he doesn't really get what we're doing here and we don't get it you know it's isn't he's not going to be a kid that stays at school yeah. back in the day before you were born it was all right to <laughs> yeah. leave. you know people would regularly leave school to um pursue trades and stuff mm. at the age of 15 and 16 so it wasn't that out of the park as it is now yeah, yeah. Um, but it was um but i had no interest in a trade or acquiring any skills i just wanted to go surfing so my first job was was in the media as a copy boy and that means that i'm here now but if my first job was cleaning up at pizza hut at bondi then that's where i'd be you'd now. be a wonderful so, pizza hut yeah, manager. I would be a great cleaner yeah <laughs> it yeah, would yeah. be great but what about your parents when when they kindly said les out you go yeah, were I, they okay with that i think the thinking at the time was okay this isn't going to work for me or from their thinking, it's not going to work for him. He's clearly he's a dodo. Um, <laughs> and both my sisters were really bright and mm. it was clear I wasn't you know, going to pursue an academic path. Their chat to me was, look, if you find a job, then you can leave school. So I just happened across this thing. Of, in fact, an auntie found it in the paper, the Sun newspaper looking for copy boys. And it was the, low, you know, it was the lowest of the low mm. jobs. But it didn't matter to me. It was like, okay, that's what I need to tell my parents that I've got a job so I can leave school now and then I can go surfing. Did no. you ever want to be, like, is that what you wanted to do? Yeah, that's all, I wa- that's all I wanted to do. Were you ever good enough to almost? Yeah, I competed. You I could, well, well, not probably not for a career because back then it's only recently that the guys have started making big dough and yeah, making money. Yeah. Um, but back then, I, you know, you'd win a t-shirt and a hat for a competition <laughs> and a little trophy. <laughs> yeah. So I was competing, and I was, you know, I was going okay. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a, you know, going to be an international superstar. But but back then there was no money in it. You know, mm. even the top guys were still uh, carpenters and and plumbers and stuff, and they'd just go surfing on the weekends. So certainly back in my day, it was like I had a cupboard full of free t-shirts. It's like, you know, <laughs> the Coca-Cola <laughs> Northern Beaches Championship, something. So. So tell me. Uh, 
um, about the the move because when you started as a copy boy, fifteen when you start working for the Sydney yeah. Morning Herald, yeah. and then at seventeen you're the youngest newsreader in Australia. Well, I started at Channel. <laughs> <laughs> like, how does that how does that work well, from I, emptying ashtrays yeah, right, to right, reading right. the news? So what I did was I was an overnight copy boy and I was in police rounds, and you'd sit there in front of a bank of twenty speakers listening for police radio calls and fire brigade calls, um, and then you'd call the journalists up and send them to these disasters or stories. And a, uh, I was asleep in there one night as I would normally sleep, <laughs> and uh, one of the journos from the Sydney Morning Herald came in and said, "You live in." Bondi don't you and I said yeah and he said look there's this story I've just written about Bondi crime and he was a young guy and he said why don't you rewrite this for your local paper and start to write because I can see all you do in here is sleep oh, that's kind <laughs> so, of cool that that cool. guy came in and so, said that so I rewrote this story about Bondi crime and driving home to the surf that day I put it in an envelope um, and slid it under the door of a newspaper called the Bondi Spectator mm. and the Bondi Spectator at the time was like just bowling notes and RSL meat tray winners and stuff. So they didn't have a news round as such. Mm. So I'd slip this under with a note saying, Dear Editor, thinking about getting into journalism, please let me know what you think of this story. Mm. And that was on a Tuesday. On a Thursday, the Bondi Spectator comes out with a front page, Bondi Crime Spree by Larry Edmuir. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And all my mates are ringing up and it's like, wow, you're on the... You know, so it was like... Wow. That's the ego thing. I thought... This is kind of cool. This is good, yeah, yeah. So I did that every week for a year. They what, just ha- pinched stories that no, were going well, I, on and I, then wrote them? I and started <laughs> sourcing my own. Okay, yeah. um, but I, I did that every week for a year, slipped a, a, a story under the door of this guy. I never met him. No. I never spoke to him. I never got a cent. This is great. Right. So for a year, so no money, never met the guy because I didn't want him to see that I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was 15 or 16. And because they didn't have uh, reporters or journalists, like the stories would always be page one or page two or three. So I ended up with this scrapbook of stories right. that made me look like a journalist <laughs> that I wasn't. I was a high school dropout who couldn't read or write or spell, you know, like anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I now look like a journalist because news organisations looked for this scrapbook. I was better placed to look for a job than a lot of people coming out of university with degrees back in the day in communications and media because they didn't have printed stuff or published stuff. So I went out to Channel 7 one day and asked for a job. They are out at Epping and I thought, well, I'm a journalist now. Yeah, of course <laughs> you I've, are. Because I've been writing for the Bombay Spectator. <laughs> yeah. And I was told to, you know, to piss off pretty mm. much. And then I went travelling for a few months and came back and it was Christmas Eve. And I thought, I'm going to go back out to Channel 7 again with my scrapbook. Mm. Christmas around a newsroom is a very yes. quiet time. Yes. You were good with your timing. Right. Yeah. So, and, that's, and I look back at my career and go, it's all just been it's luck been and timing. Time. Yeah. You know, there's no other possible reason certainly no skill or talent involved but i went back out there there was two journos there there was two who'd called in sick and i said look i came in a few months ago guy told me to come back one time so i thought you know do you need any help can i hang around and this is where it turned this was the day that it it flicked so the chief of staff said look that crew there is going to king's cross to do a story on how homeless people spend christmas eve Mm. right and it was an old character called Ricky May. And he was on all the Tonight shows and the midday shows. And he yep. was a fantastic singer and great performer in the day. Anyone a little bit older than you would know of Ricky May. Mm. So we arrived and I'm just the kid in the back of the car, like carrying tripods, right? And I'd had a discussion with the cameraman on the way in saying, you know, I want to be a journo and stuff like that. So we jumped out of the car and Ricky May sort of looked at us getting out of the car and he came over and he said, you don't know what the hell you're doing, do you? And I went, no. And he said, just follow me. 
And it was the first time and the only time in my 30 years in television more mm. where it just the story just made itself. Mm. It was quite incredible. So we, were, we followed Ricky May around. He's singing to these old homeless people. He's giving them food. He's talking to them. Um, there's tears. There's laughter. There's everything that you would ever want in a news story yeah. on Christmas Eve. I didn't have to do anything. Was this a lot to do with his skill in getting the right everything. shots? And so, yeah, everything. He knew what to do. It was yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have to do anything because I wasn't even there on official business. Yeah. And then at the end of that, the cameraman said to me, look, why don't you do a, what we call a stand-up, which is why don't you stand there with Ricky May singing to the guys behind you and say, uh, you know, say something about today. So I just stood there and went, these men and women uh, do it tough all year. They couldn't possibly hope for a better day than today, courtesy of Ricky May. Larry Emder reporting seven nightly news or whatever it was, right? Yay. So I got back and, uh, and this is all happening very quickly because yeah, yeah, yeah. they were short-staffed and it, was, it ended up being a fantastic story. Nothing that I did. Mm. It just magically Worked. happened and then that that went to air that night it was mm. on tv so i was only meant to be there as a schlepper carrying the tripod and helping out and watching things go but because they were short-staffed that went on tv they asked me to do two lines of voiceover so i went into the vooiceover booth i didn't like and then here we are at king's cross and i wish i had a copy of it it was a beautiful story through nothing i did the mm. editor did a great job the mm. cameraman did a great job and ricky may was the de facto producer and just made it happen and on the strength of that they invited me back the next day so if if that guy hadn't walked in and said redo my story you do you think you would have were you starting to get Look, it was, a sense that you wanted to do there, that there was probably that? you know there was an interest there was a bunch of young guys in there who were journalists and mm. i was like hanging out with them and they would um, sneak me into the journalist club in six o'clock in the morning we'd drink beer and because that's how they would finish their night shift mm-hmm. so look there was probably uh some momentum building to you know i was hanging out with these people i was understanding what they were seeing that they were making money and um, meeting girls at the pub because they were their name was in the paper. <laughs> yep. So there was, you know, probably a, an idea that maybe, you know, it was brewing. I mm. didn't know how it was going to happen. Mm. Um, and I wasn't dedicated to it because I knew at the same time it's writing yep. and, and reading. And mm. I'd failed in both of those miserably. So I was very mindful of a person like that heading into a trade like journalism was a ridiculous proposition. But you obviously know how to tell a story. You can tell a story. Yeah. I think that's and what that's it was. The, the, that's and at I, the base. And, of I, it. and I think that's what came out early in those early days. And, I, and and looking back again, that was luck. You know, that was luck that I had the Ricky May story because mm. that could have ended. Terribly. It could have gone nowhere very yeah. quickly. Mm. Like I could have actually spent that day carrying the tripod, yeah. which is what I was supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. And gone back, and the Channel Seven guy would have said, I "Hope you enjoyed your time here." Bye. So with, then was it just sort of one story after the next yeah, until yeah. you were reading the su- news? So it was summer, it was Christmas, it was my time of year. It was like I was the beach guy and mm-hmm. I knew, what the, you know, so we'd do stuff in the National Park one day and then another Christmassy story. Everything lightens up quite a bit over Christmas in mm. the – oh, it did then, certainly in the news gathering department. It was all nice, happy summer stories. Yeah. And so I, I ended up after two or three weeks as a sort of permanent member of, of – the reporting team. I guess one of the interesting things about this kind of career is that you, it's not like it ever goes from I'm sitting in front of the TV watching it to tomorrow I'm on the TV doing something like this. Always those little incremental steps mm. that mean that by the time that you're reading an auto cue, yeah. there've been all these little things that have made that kind of normal and the next logical step. Sure. But during that whole process, were you kind of thinking, oh, this is not, or were you still like every day kind of turning around going, what is what is happening here? Like, is this, or was it just normal? That's a really interesting question. I think it happened very quickly mm. and I wasn't young and clever. I was just young and stupid and 
confident and up myself and you know so I was <laughs> yeah. like cool I'm on telly and yeah yeah, yeah. You know, it was going well at the pub on Friday night meeting girls and of it was course. like it's like because I'm on telly <laughs> yeah. um and my mates and we started to get you know f- free drinks at pubs because I was on telly, on telly like it was yeah. like it's cool yeah, yeah yeah um it was young stupid stuff really and if I look back at it and I could have been much better at it and focused on it a lot but I was 17 and 18 and but I guess you're playing with the bank's money then because in some ways it's not mm. like you've you've waited your whole life to get into this game and then all of a sudden you get the job like you kind of fall into it and then so yeah. everything's a bit of a bonus and when sure. you're young and you're like and it was oh, fun like yeah, it was really course. fun mm. it was really exciting and we found um we were out at Epping then and we had the chopper in the backyard and mm-hmm. one of the uh and one of the things was uh, a lot of the older journos didn't like flying around at the chopper all day or they had you know the older guys that have the political rounds and the police rounds and stuff so I was really the the young guy that would pick up the slack Mm. Um, and get the jobs that the other guys didn't want. So I was in the chopper every day, which for me was really exciting. <laughs> yeah, for course. the older guys with kids, it was like, like oh, you're oh, on the yeah, chopper right, again. Right. <sighs> so I was every day running down the chopper and yeah, you know, yeah. jumping in headfirst. And I was having a ball and traveling around because I was the guy that could um, go off into the country for a couple of days because I didn't have wife and kids and stuff. So mm-hmm. I was doing, you know, I was moving around the system a lot. And so it was, it was great fun. Like I look back on those days and think that was a lot of fun. So how did you make the move from news into more like variety show, game show sort of stuff? Because that's so, kind of the bulk of where people remember right, you. Right, yeah. yeah. So sort of in 1987. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd <laughs> finished, oh no, so I was at Channel 7 News mm. and I was taking, I was really enjoying the creative side of writing and where you can do that in the news is really the stuff towards the end of the news. Yeah. Because as a young kid, I was seeing a lot of stuff that young kids shouldn't see. I was going out to the triple fatal car accidents and the fires and seeing the bodies and the, you know, like it was, it was heavy going. So <clears throat> once I started to do the more lifestyle and entertainment side of the news, I really enjoyed that. Mm. Um, Channel 10 had seen that, what I was doing, and invited me to join Good Morning Australia. That's a really, is that a big leap? Like at the time were you experienced enough for that to not be a big leap? Or um, am I just assuming that's a big leap? No, what it was, it was actually really cool because they'd seen me doing these mini feature stories and the invitation was, you're going to fly around the world doing feature stories. Oh, get um, out. Uh, instead of doing one a day, you'll do one a week. Um, we've got stuff, there's stuff all over the world. Wow. Um, and it's colour. That's a good gig. It was so good and I loved it. I loved it a lot. And How in fact, did we you just, do that for? Oh, it was two years. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, so if you look in modern terms, it's probably like um, maybe like a James Tobin now or yeah, something, right. you know, that sort of concept. Where mm-hmm. And we got to, like, just this week on, on the morning show, I got mm. to go to Ipswich, to the Country Music Festival. Yep, that's why your like, voice is a little hoarse. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, yeah. But it was like, this is it. You know, I love this stuff. Yeah, Getting yeah, yeah. amongst the pe- people, having fun and doing those feature length stories mm. about Australia. So I had a great two years there. Now, now, what happened then in 1988, so I joined in 1987, an American guy took over Channel 10 because it was going really badly mm-hmm. and he came in and his solution for a failing Channel 10 was to make everything a game show. So, was that because in the States that's that's just what right, worked? Right. So he right. wanted it to be, he said Channel 10 is going to be the entertainment network mm-hmm. and all we're going to do is game shows and bit of news here and there. So as a result of that, every host got a game show. Really? So they had newsreaders doing games. Oh, it was no. so bizarre. Was there anyone that's working now that that people oh, know that had to go and do a game no, show that was you wouldn't? Tim Webster, Tony what Murphy. What was he hosting? What was Tim hosting? Do it you remember? It would have been a quiz of some sort. Oh, Tony really? Murphy was hosting something. <laughs> anyway, so it was morning till night game shows. Right. right. 
and they had one shitty show left <laughs> and no one to host it because they'd already recruited all the hosts. But I was the bubbly, young, fun reporter. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was also a sacrificial lamb for, to test stuff. <laughs> yeah. So they go, well, there's this one. And they called me into the office and I was like, I was a reporter on, you know, a few bucks and having fun. Mm-hmm. But now it was like, we've got a primetime game show. It's 7.30 on Monday night, which means it's going to launch this entire new network. So we're putting a lot of emphasis on it. Mm. Oh, and here's the pay pack. And I'm like, yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> Are there models? Sure. Yes. So it was a show called Family Double Dare, right? What? Okay. I, I, what was involved? You don't remember it. Don't, I don't remember no, it. Because it was only, I'll tell you why you don't remember it. Because it was only on for one episode. No. So what happened, the whole network was lined up. There was billboards and buses and front cover of the Sunday newspapers like Channel 10, Next Week Launches, Entertainment Central, this mm-hmm. whole thing. And the first show to launch at 7.30 was um, Family Double Dare. Uh, and, so it's mum and dad and two kids over one side and mum and dad and two kids over the other. If okay. you get the questions right, you go through. If you get the questions wrong, you get 60 litres of custard bought on you. <laughs> so it was, dis- like, it was a disgraceful show. Okay, right. Yep. First question. How many Fs appear in the word dolphin, right? Okay. And the mum with the red tracksuit hits the buzzer and she said, Larry, there are two Fs in dolphin. <laughs> so this is during the record, the pre-record. Right. So I'm like, oh, this can't go. This show can't go on TV. <laughs> anyway, so sure enough, we were having a celebration at Channel 10 for the launch of the whole network that night as, the, as that show goes to air. Yeah. And about halfway through that, cel- that show, um, I get tapped on the shoulder in the boardroom where we're all having drinks to celebrate the launch mm. and into the boss's office. The American guy, Larry, <laughs> we can't do this to the Australian public. We're off. And that's it. That was it. Uh, they ran one more in repeat, like the second episode we recorded, like at 11 o'clock at night in a month's time. Um, Were you devastated when you heard that news? Or did you kind of know when old mate said two Fs in Dolphin? <laughs> um, well, I had a bad feeling about that. <laughs> no, I didn't know. I didn't know enough about the space and I didn't mm. know what happens in prime time and I didn't know how they treat hosts in prime time. So I was just still a goofy reporter. But what it did was it took me out of reporting and put me into game shows and entertainment and audience and shiny floor and lots of cameras and lights. I'm like, I really like this. Mm. It was fun. Well, you, I mean, particularly because you're so good with people and that's the side of mm. those those things that you like mm. and those mm. colour pieces. It's like there is no better space for somebody right. who is good with people than a show that is going to have people coming through all the time and you've got to be adept enough to be like, oh, I can get the yeah. best out of you. Yeah. I've never met you before, but I yeah. can play this game and do this. And that was a huge part, I think, of why people fell in love with you on game shows because it's like you could see these, particularly in The Price is Right, I just remember seeing these women like run up and be so excited to meet oh, you and oh, what well, you're you gonna be I, humble no, no, yeah, no of course <laughs> i call that um white good inspired love and the reason right, they for just that, wanted the washing like, machine if, if i okay. wasn't about to give them a double door okay. fridge okay all right if i just walked past them in the street they probably wouldn't love me yeah it does but make they you now have prettier. the opportunity to yep. win a mini fridge <laughs> or a microwave <laughs> And people love me for that. Yeah, you do seem a lot more attractive when you when you come with some white goods. Right, right. So when that show finished, then you're on a contract then. Do you stay on contract and they find you something else or were you kind of so, warehoused? Well, I was still with The Morning Show. Right. Um, oh, I, so you were doing this on top as well. Yeah, uh, sorry, so The Morning Show. Still with Good Morning good Australia. Good Morning Australia, yep. So it was okay mm. and... I'd found my pl- I'd found my happy place, so I'm like I want to do this. I don't want to mm-hmm. go on. Re- Not that I was I was in Good Morning Australia, so I wasn't doing the nasty car accidents anymore. But you know, back at Channel Seven News, I remember the chief of staff called me in after a particularly bad car accident. I was live to the news. Uh, it was triple fatal, and it was my first live cross. And 
I smile when I'm nervous. Mm. Right? And that works really well on game shows. Yeah. Not on the news. Yeah. So they've crossed to me and I'm like, uh, and it wasn't, it, was, it was an uncomfortable, awkward, nervous smile. It wasn't a, hey, happy yeah, yeah, smile, game show great. smile. Yeah, yeah. But I remember the chief of staff called me and he said, Amda, look, with that nervous smile, you're only going to be able to sell Amway or be a game <laughs> show host. <laughs> yeah, you can't be right. doing that. Yeah, it's so, true. So it, it's not until I got to do that game show that I thought I'd like to pursue that. And so was it then, after that, apart from Good Morning Australia, was it then it was Game Show Central, yeah, Larry's our game show man? Yeah, 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 pretty much. Because also in that, the people who make game shows saw what they wanted to see as well mm-hmm. in me. So it was surpri- it got surprisingly busy after that, where I thought, you know, it's my first axing, that's the end of the world. It was actually, I was hearing from Grundy's and Southern Star and all other people who were doing game shows because it was on and off fast enough that, Clearly, no one's ever going to remember it, mm-hmm. but there's a guy who can stand on the shiny floor and, and wrangle. You know, there's uh, eight people on stage, a few hundred people in the audience, ten cameras, like, and, and it worked out okay. Mm. So they were looking at that as an audition, I suppose, you know, if you like. So where did you – where was the next big gig? The next one was that? a thing called The Main Event. Oh, my God. I remember this. Right. The Main Event. Yeah, this is the one thing – the one show from my past that I can remember the theme tune. I can remember kind of a fuzzy version of watching it. Yeah. I have no idea what it was about. I can't remember what it was right. about. Was it sort of it's a knockout meet? Something? No, I can't remember. No, no, not at all. It was in a big stadium uh, and there was uh, four celebrities per team. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, And yeah. it was just videos of what happens. It was bloopers. Like, yeah, it was right. Really, it okay, was, yeah, yeah. And, and there was two families that we had on remote cameras at their home and we'd drive a car into their driveway at the start of the show. One family <laughs> would win the car and the other one would drive the car. Oh, away. how evil. Yeah, cruel, right? <laughs> that was a great show. And, in fact, that was up against 60 Minutes on Sunday night. I remember that being huge. I remember watching it. Was it was big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it was the first Channel Seven show to beat sixty minutes um, back right. in the day, so it was quite a th- it was quite a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a great thing to be involved in because it was big, big. You know, and the budgets were different, and it was exciting, and I loved it. I loved it. Um, running out with the the pom pom the cheer squad girls every week. Yeah, and it was yeah, like, yeah. Wow, this is TV. <laughs> and big celebrities would come in, and mm. um, great panels. You know, like the aggro. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. We'd have all the the Channel Seven stars and all the visiting celebrities would come in as well. So it was, it was fun. That went mm. for a couple of years. Yeah, I remember that show. And then was it? Did you? When did you move to Price? Then Price after that. And there were some bits in the middle. I did some radio and bits of this and bits of that. And while I was uh, there at seven, I uh, filled in for the Tonight Show, the Visard Tonight Live with oh, yeah, Steve Visard. Yeah. And that was a thing that stuck with me. That's something I, you know, always wanted to pursue at another time. And then Price. Then price started. Were you, in terms of like profile and the was was the main event the sort of thing that's that changed things for you? Yeah, yeah. And then from price, it yeah. was like you were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Main event was uh, the biggest, newest, most successful game show in a long, long time, mm. um, and I was the goofball doing it. So it, it it finished up my reporting days. It started me on a path of game show bimbo guy, um, and it was great. You know, it was great. And all I had to do was smile and laugh and have fun and ask questions. So it was really cool. Have you had an unbroken run since that point in terms of employment, show to show to show? You know, close. Yeah. Not, not, not necessarily TV show to TV show, but, but I've to gone work to work. work to work to work, yeah. And I've gone and, and I've been really lucky too. I've gone from, you know, from 10 
to seven to nine to ten to nine to seven to nine yeah. to ten to seven. A lot of people don't get that opportunity. No, no, that's yeah. very rare. And also mm. I'm pretty sure you must be the only person to ever host a TV show on two networks at once. Because against didn't, myself. Against yourself. Yeah. Because when they cancelled Price, they were still running reruns when you were hosting Wheel, Wheel of, of Fortune. Fortune. That's right. That's right. So I don't reckon there'd be another person on it. Then I'd done a a special in between Price is Right and Wheel of Fortune. Mm. Price is Right was on nine. I took a break, came back to Wheel of Fortune. But in that break, I hosted something for Channel 10. It was some big beauty contest on the Gold Coast. And so in one week, in fact, in one night, I was on hosting Price is Right on Channel 9, Wheel of Fortune, which was against Price's Right on Channel Seven, <laughs> and then at seven thirty that night on Channel Ten was my beauty pageant from the year before. Wow! Yeah, so I think I'm the only person who heard that. In that, that was all in the same day. Yeah, because yeah, so most people stick to one network and that's it. But right, that's all. Right. That's I mean, that's what we're, that's what most of us freelancers do. We're like yeah, yeah. we'll work for whoever will take yeah, us. But to yeah. be contracted doing actual shows for people, yeah. Do you, what what's it like? Because I'm I'm sure like you have gone from being lucky enough to sort of um, I suppose leapfrog on the lily pads um, from one yeah. job to another but you know were there any particular shows there that sort of got axed that really like get to you is it is it tough when a show gets axed I or think I, I learned early and you know Family Double Dare was like the best possible example of how bad this business can be yeah. and I learned that early so I'm not one of those people who was first first instance around for 10 years and then got axed and had, it wasn't that. It was like, hey, I'm doing a game show. Hey, it's been axed. Front page of the paper. Like it was a horrible time mm. for me. But I learned that then. So anything after that was kind of like, okay, this is the business. So I'll go into all of these shows, including the morning show, mm. but Price is Right, all of them, you just go into them going, we'll work it as it comes up and then when it finishes, it finishes. And that's that's the nature of any job, I suppose. Mm. But, yeah, there's been some disasters since then too. You know, I'm also, for all the good stuff we're talking about, I'm also the most axed person in TV. Are you really? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so bizarre because I think mm. if you asked anybody, they would never <laughs> think that because you, in my mind, are like Teflon Larry. Like, you know, there are very few people, if that is really the case, like I think even if you have been part of some stinkers, you're the type of person that can walk out of a stinker right. for breeze. Fresh, you know, like every, nobody yeah. remembers that Larry was a part of it. They yeah. just remember how bad the show was, and then you just go on to another well, sort of incarnation. <laughs> that's very kind of you, oh, Teflon Larry. I'll that. Um, but for all those shows we're talking about, they've all been axed. Mm. Right? I added it up one time. Someone asked me one time for an article, and I think it was twenty-four different shows have been axed. Yeah, well, everything I've hosted has been axed. Yeah, right. Except, except you know, this is why I'm here now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and this is and it's all led to this. So I'm so grateful that it's everything I've learned along the way mm. means I can sit on the morning show couch and go, okay, I know what to do now. Yeah, of course. Um, even if sixty liters of custard's being poured <laughs> on me, I know what to do. Uh, <laughs> That's but, the worst idea yeah, yeah, for a show yeah. I've ever heard. But all of the everything. I mean, Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune, Cash Bonanza, Main Event, uh, all of them. Celebrity Dog School, Celebrity Splash. Like mm. everything's you know everything comes to an end, and that means uh, you know that's potentially you're out of work and you can't pay the bills and all that sort of stuff so um but there's very few of those shows that can go forever you know like if if you sure. if you host some of those things like morning shows and stuff are a bit of an exception because you're going to assume mm. that networks are always going to have some version of a morning show mm-hmm. on forever and ever but you know in ter- if something's like a certain game show or a certain show yeah. so th- like everything has a time limit that's eventually right. so you're always going to be eventually the guy that's on the show that gets axed because that's they can't right. go forever that's right so if you add up 
all of those things that I've done mm. and they've all been acts. That makes me the most biggest acts loser. <laughs> the biggest loser. What over the years, because I, I often think about <laughs> media as, you know, that weird thing where in a week sometimes we really can get to do 5, 10, 15, 20 things that people would have on their I want to do this before sure. I die bucket list. Sure. And it is your normal nine to five, yep. you know, meeting celebrities, going yeah. and doing things. Is there any one thing over the years that so maybe you said like hosting Steve Visard's show was a big thing? Was there yeah. anything in particular that stands out as like that was just a standout moment? There's been lots but and for different reasons mm. you know so the tonight show stuff was great um a year ago we did a, a telethon here for um for ronald mcdonald house that i was fortunate enough to host the whole flight we did it as a marathon thing mm. you know that was fantastic to be involved in something like that i went to the olympics in 88 so lots of different things and then here on the morning show we get to meet weekly as or sometimes daily people who you know, I call my kids and, and they're like, what? what? Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess we're talking about celebrities here, right? And mm. there is every single celebrity that comes into town comes on the morning show, so you get to interview them all. Right. Having worked in radio for years, we, you know, you get the same thing, the revolving door of celebrities. Sure. And I tell you, it's the one thing that I used to look forward to the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it is not like you're sitting down with someone who's like, let's have a wine and a cheese board yeah, yeah. and like, like just like shoot next. the shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just yeah. immediately say, the, the, the times that you get something out of them are mm. often very rare. Sometimes sure. you're like, I feel, you know, you're, you're expecting it to be rubbish. And then if they just say hello, mm. you're like, oh, my God, it was amazing. Yeah, 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 right. They're the yeah. nicest That's person so ever. Do you, so do you find those? Because I find yeah. those the hard work yeah. of this job. Yeah. Yes, that's mm. right. And we go into it knowing that. And you're right, anything above and beyond that is a bonus. But what we find generally is, and maybe it's different with the radio, I don't know. Mm. But generally when they get into that studio and there's lights, camera, there's crew, and if they're a performer, generally they perform. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then at the same time, I've been around long enough to know that if they're not performing, that that's also fabulous television as well. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous <laughs> Yeah. Like yeah. If, if someone you, uh, you really admire and you're really excited about meeting and they're just dying a natural death, I'm happy to facilitate that <laughs> yeah. in the name of good TV. I think that you're absolutely right, though, about the camera, lights, camera, action mm. element of it. I think, you know, there's there's still, you know, obviously if you come into a professional radio studio, that's one thing, but there's something I think that everybody across the world understands about the power of morning television. Yeah. It's yeah. big in the States. It's bigger, you know, yeah. there, there's no there's nowhere where morning television isn't the place where everybody sort of goes. Yeah. So for them to turn up here, I think they immediately kind of know, like, okay, Australia is a smaller market than, Australia, than America is, but this is the mm. big time here. Like, mm. this is so... Mm. I need to add a bit of pizzazz, whereas maybe when you come into a radio studio, you're just like, you know, we're getting the dregs. We never, you get them early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, right, right, we right, get them in late. the afternoon where they're like, oh, cannot be bothered doing another one of these annoying things. What about, do you ever get negative feedback or do you, oh, are you of pretty, course. really? I can't imagine that anybody no, would course, dislike you. Of course. On yeah. social media or do you, do people? Sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, that yeah. Surprises people, me. Um, and now with social media, it's, it's brutal. Like, mm. You know straight away. Um, Do you like that aspect of the business, the social media side? Look, it's good to have contact. I mm. think we have a better. Un- I have a better understanding of what people like and don't like now. I- don't you miss the days of the locked bag? Yeah, you know, where yes. people are right into yeah. the locked bag. Well, of course, secu- back in the day, in Price is Right, you know, security would open up letters and not pass them on if they were anything but beautiful. Oh, really? Sure. Yeah, right. Sure. So you just get in the echo chamber of, yeah, I am, am fabulous. fabulous. <laughs> I'm fabulous in the back of my stretch limo <laughs> and loving it. But, um, you know, I don't mind it. It's because I would have a say. It's like, you know, goggle box. It's like it's important we understand what people think mm. about us. It's crucial, I suppose, that we 
don't live in that bubble anymore. Mm. But you've got to understand how to manage that as well. And for me, my you know my fallback is I've been doing this for so long now, and if that's what people think, then yeah, of course, I, you know I can't change that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, it's nice. Like I've just been to this country music festival, surrounded by you know fifteen thousand morning show fans after 10 beers mm. um, and everyone's saying nice things you yeah, know what I mean course. like so it's actually that puts you in a good space yeah. it's like okay people you know people remember Price is Right people remember main event people want to talk about this and people saw the morning show the day before and yeah, so yeah. it's generally generally nice if I find myself at, at a pub at 2 in the morning I'm going to get hammered you know because that's when <laughs> yeah. people decide to be unnice you're a dick you are a dick <laughs> what do you think how do you think and we're coming to the end now so we can uh, we can stop commandeering this office. How do you think the industry's changed over the years? Is there anything that stands out? Oh, significant, significant mm. changes. Firstly, there's um, there's more outlets. I think uh, social media has changed things a lot, particularly with what we do. You know, Morning Show is infotainment. We're heavy on the entertainment side mm. of things. We will get as much from Twitter and Insta and Snapchat, wherever they go, uh, as we do from you know, any other news sources. Yeah. The whole paparazzi concept has changed everything about how we gather. Do you get papped? Well, the funny story is that one of the uh, – well, I have done. Uh, <laughs> but one of, the, one, of our, one of our regular contributors uh, who works at the Sydney Morning Herald said to me one day, said, Larry, they're trying to sell photos of you again, but I'm, I'm sad to say no one <gasps> wants to buy them. Oh. I don't think I'm anything. Like, I don't think I'm anything. Do no. You know what I mean? Occasionally I'll get papped with – the last great pap shot and my favourite shot of us ever was uh, Sylvie and I were walking – um, out, we just had a coffee at Rose Bay mm. and we're walking. And I had my hand, hand on, on her, her bum. Ass, I saw and that. I, and the paparazzi, you know, I turned around and I went, Really? You just took that photo? Yeah. And that, that was a big photo and it was like, Great. I wondered whether yeah. you'd seen them and you'd done that because that seemed yeah, like right. cheeky Larry. Yeah, like yeah, you'd yeah, seen yeah. them a, and you're going, You know what? I'm just going to give him a little bit of that. It was a little bit of that. <laughs> but um, no, look, I don't think I'm. I'm of any particular value to anybody mm. like that. No. But sometimes, I mean, that, I think that's a great thing. You know, if you can have sure. the career, but you don't sure. have to worry about going to the shops in your in your tracky pants sure. and having somebody jumping out from a bush yeah, and yeah. taking a photo. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not. I'm not. What a rubbish part of life. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> can I just have the job that I enjoy and like, and just go home and just but, be done with you know, it? You know, I hear that a lot too, and we hear it from. The American stars a lot. Like I want to go to Starbucks in my tracky decks, but you know, if you're going to take your thirty million bucks for a movie <laughs> yeah, and you're going to live in your fifteen million dollar Bel Air mansion and drive your drop Bentley around, then That's it. you can't just turn that stuff on and off. Mm. And we understand from we've had a couple of paparazzo on the show, and um, they'll say, you know, a lot of the celebs line this stuff up as well of to course, suit them. Of course, so you can't go. I'm going to be there with my kids, yeah. but then don't get me walking out of the shopping centre. It doesn't mm. work that way. Were you just on the phone going, I'm going to be outside Rose Bay with yeah. a hand on my yeah, wife's yeah, yeah, ass yeah, yeah, at 10.45, yeah, yeah. yes. be there. <laughs> yeah. I thought thankfully, so. <laughs> thankfully, that's usually where my hand is. Yeah, so it wasn't course. even a big story. <laughs> of course. What do luckily, you, it was my wife. <laughs> yeah, that's very, oh, that could have been trouble. Um, what do you think is the best and the worst part of the business? The, the best part is the variety every day mm, is different. completely different. And that's exciting. You know, the live aspect of what we do is fabulous. And I think that comes across. The engagement with yeah, the audience is like, okay, we're having a good day. So, you know, Larry and Kylie are having a good day. So that's normal relationship. And well, Larry and Kylie are bickering a bit. So that's normal relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an honesty with what's happening now. The, you know, the game show stuff, while that's very honest as well, there's a performance to it. And there's a of course. up and here I am, happy guy. I've got a, I've got a headache and a sore back, but I'm still happy and giving, <laughs> yeah. and cuddling women who want fridges. Um, <laughs> But I think that's I think that's the best thing about you know certainly where I'm at now is this is a very on it's a great team and it's it's a great show we're we're in our tenth year now 
That's it's crazy. a long time That's in TV. That's a long right? time. Like a long time. And so touch wood. Um, and it's all going really well. So that's a good thing. And bit. The- great hours, can I just say. Like the thing about breakfast TV and breakfast radio that I don't like is that, they're, yes, they're the, the great yeah. gig, but the hours suck. Yeah. But you are on it. Mwah. Like, know, but you good. can still be a, like, you get up early, but you're not getting yeah. up crazy early. No, no, it's fine. Doing what you love, doing yeah. the same kind of every day is different sort of thing without yeah. having to feel like a zombie all the time. No, it's great. And now with my new uh, haircut, I'm in hair and makeup in about four minutes flat. Oh, this is the so, great thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying to Sylvie, we should have more kids. Like, this is, we've got heaps of time. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's great fun. And then I'm home now. Like, if you went bogging down my day, um, <laughs> I'd be down at the beach already. So it's, I do feel very blessed with this. Like, yeah. and this is, a, this is a great show. The team's fantastic and everyone gets it. Um, and uh, and that's that's the good bit. The bad bit, um, I don't know. I suppose now with social, you're judged. You know, everyone wants to have a say and a dig, and I think that's added pressure. I'm okay with it. It's water off a duck's back for me. I hosted Family Double Dare and Celebrity <laughs> Splash. And, and, don't and forget Celebrity, and dog, celebrity school. dog School. Like no one can say. And I think that's tough. And, you know, that's tough yeah, for me to be. I'm such a tough old bit of shit. Now. <laughs> There's not much anyone can say. That I haven't said of myself at a corporate gig in front of an audience. Like I'm the, I'm the only guy that I make fun of when I'm on stage. But that's really and, important, I think. And yeah. I think a lot of that comes down to having been like you've done your time. You've done mm. a lot of stuff. It's not like you've come on here. I think a lot of people are mortally wounded that don't have those decades of experience and are coming on and kind of going, "Oh God, I'm going to get found out here." Yeah. But you've done yeah. enough now where you can mm. go. You know what? I think I've got this pretty down. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you can come at me, but I know I've, I'm coming from a good place yeah, and I know yeah. what I'm doing. So yeah, yeah. you can't really and lose sleep. And my thing, you know, I can always sit back and read those tweets, always sit back and go, okay, well, you just come in tomorrow and just host two and a half yes. hours of live TV and I'll just go to the beach. Exactly, you know? exactly. So there's, bad, there's the probably added attention along the way. But as I said, I know some people that gets some people down, but it's, it's okay with me. Mm. A wise old TV exec once said to me, it's when people aren't recognising you that you've got a problem. <laughs> yeah, so while people true. are coming up to you in the pub and in the street and in the shops and going, hey, love your show or hey, you're a wanker, whatever like that, yeah. at least they know, know who, you are. who you are and what you do. And that, and that in this business is what they call brand equity and it's people people know you. Mm. So hopefully they come on that right, you know, they're right with you. Mm. All right, final five questions and okay. then you get to go to the beach. <laughs> okay. All right, your biggest regret. Could be a job you took, a job you didn't take. You could have no regrets. Look, I could, yeah. I, you know what? As a, I'm 53 this year, and it's time for me to, you know, to look back and go, the things that I've said in the past that I regret, I don't, because they all have led to one thing after the other after the other, and here, mm-hmm. here now. If the main event was still going. I wouldn't have got to do prices right. Mm. If, if, if Family Double Dare was still going, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have got to do Wheel of Fortune, Prices Right, and most importantly, the morning show. Yeah. If we, if um, Prices Right was still going, I wouldn't have got to do uh, Tonight Show and the morning show and Dancing with the Stars. You mm. know, if I didn't do Dancing with the Stars, I wouldn't have got. Well, forget that <laughs> bad example. Do you know what I mean? So, yes, of so I, I, probably as a younger man, I would have looked back and gone, "I wish I didn't do Celebrity Dog School." But Celebrity Dog School was a fun little thing to do. Celebrity Splash, which people I – lo- I tell jokes about Celebrity Splash when I'm in front of an audience. Mm. But Kylie and I hosted a show with 2,000 people in the audience and 20 cameras. So from an experiential point of view, like there's not many hosts that get to do – not many TV yes. hosts get to do that. So when they call me up to ask me to do something like that again or they're looking for a host who can do 2,000 audience – 
I could do that because I did it in with Cash Bonanza. Mm. You know, so it's like but I think it all I, equals, it all adds up. Of course, know? and I think when you're doing those little independent gigs, like I saw a really horrible piece the other day about Rove's new show doing uh, hosting on the ABC doing that's about Doctor Who going, oh, what a fall from grace. And I thought, are you kidding me? Hosting a show about a topic that you're interested right, in right. on a pat- – it doesn't have to have 7 million viewers. You don't have yep. to be earning $10 million for it. Like when you're a performer and you've done enough that you know what you're doing, right. those kind of gigs are fabulous. You yes, think, it's I often, so true. I often think it's people outside of that and, and the, the the celebrity kind of um, uh, journalism sort of side of things gets mm. a little bit bitter, I think, sometimes mm-hmm. and they want to tear you to shreds and you go, well, hang on a second. Okay, so it's not Shakespeare, but yeah. we're, for, for every week we're going out and doing this really fun gig where we're like, oh, my God, this is really yeah. – like what an interesting show yeah. – what in- interesting characters to talk to. So from a performer's perspective, you go, there's so much in this that, mm. you know, you don't measure it like, well, what does this look like from the outside no, looking no. in? Because you go, this is a great fun gig. No. And we've got to remember, like, I'm a TV host, so I host TV. Yeah. Uh, and a TV critic is a TV critic. critic yeah. So that's the job. You mm. know, I've never begrudged anybody who's written any – I've done some shit – um, and I, you know, I knew, I knew when I was hosting Celebrity Dog School how bad that was. But it was getting my kids through school, That's and it was, it. and it was filling in the gaps, mm. you know. And um, and so when I read that in the paper that this is the worst piece of television in the history of television, <laughs> then I'm like. I know that. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't. I didn't turn up and say this is the thing that I think is amazing. Like I'm just standing. Yeah, right. out, I'm the f- guy at the front of it, you right, know, right, going, right, right. "This is my job, yeah. and I'm keeping the balls up in the air." Yeah, and Sylvie wants a new kitchen. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. What about your dream gig? I'm going to say that I reckon it's a late night Larry style show. You know, it was for a long time. Not anymore. Well, I think this is it. You know, what I'm yeah, doing yeah, here yeah. now. Actually, I've come to. You know, it's, it's, you grow. You know, mm. you grow and you understand things. And um, now at this age and this time of my life, I'd have to say this is kind of it, mm. really. And I say That's that, a pretty cool thing to be oh, able yeah, to say. And I say that with, you know, real honesty and positivity about it. And I, I love love coming in here every day, um, love the variety, love the live. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked on tonight shows yeah. and they're a heap of fun. And I went probably went through a stage, you know, five years ago and um, it was probably my before 50 thing, like, I really, really wanted to do a Tonight Show, um, but now I just th- I think I'm, this is more me. You've matured. I'm, I've matured. <laughs> I've turned into <laughs> Bert and Ernie. Um, but I just th- you know I mean I'm I'm in a really comfortable place. Uh, a great team, great show, and and love it, and wouldn't want to upset that mm. in any way. Whereas you know probably pre fifty, where I was trying to quickly get shit done that I'd wanted to do all my life, mm. I was like. I want to really want to do a Tonight Show, really do. But then I've seen, you know, there's no appetite for that in Australia yeah, at the moment, it. and da 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 da, and blah blah blah. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a really great businessman. And I'm not a really, I'm not a very good promoter of myself, oh, as yeah. you've probably seen. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Yeah. So um, that would have been on my list of things before 50. But then I realised, you know, I, I feel now it's time to count my blessings and just go. This is a great show, mm. um, and I really do enjoy it. Is there a big idea that you've had over the years that you've wanted to get up or something that either was really bad and didn't get up or something that, you, that you've wanted to do that hasn't happened yet? I'd like to make a movie before I die. Really? Hmm. Would um, you like to write it or you want to yeah, direct? Yeah, write it maybe. Tell a story. I know it just goes back to the storytelling. Yeah. Just go, you know, maybe 
kick some stuff around. But I don't know if I've missed that as well. That was on my pre fifty hit list as well. I Just don't write think a, you've bo- a, that at a all. book or a movie. Those um, kind of things are like those kind of things are post fifties now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that might you know that might be one something that doesn't take away from this. You know, there's something I can spend my afternoons doing. So, mm. so a book, a book or a movie script, I think would be interesting. Do you, you don't have a memoir or anything, do you? Do you? No, I've been asked. I bet by a few have. publishers over the years. Have they, have they come up with any really bad names, like uh, the yeah, Price is Wrong yeah, bitch, bitch or something? Yeah. Um, so, look, there's you know there's a bunch of stories and everyone's doing books. So, yeah, you know, yeah. what, if someone wants to sit down with me over 20 beers and <laughs> hear my stories and write it down. Maybe they'll it, just yeah. turn this podcast into yeah, a book. Possibly, there you go. Uh, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Surfing. <laughs> No. I honestly had no other plan. Like I didn't have a plan. Mm. I didn't have a plan. It would have been. It would have been a cop. I reckon it would have been a cop out job. Mm. Something that would have allowed me to surf and hang out. It wouldn't have been in media. But instead, uh, here you are. Here we are. Well, in the, but the, I don't know. There's probably a better answer to that. But uh, there was no. There was nothing else. There was nothing. O- no other just, burning desire. It just no. It just, and and nor was the nor was the media. By yeah. the way, it just sort of happened and it snowballed and bumbled along then I was in it I was in it too deep to get out yeah but I think there's quite a few people through that that Mm. it's almost like a you are you have a natural ability for it you find Mm. your way into that you are that person that's kind of sitting in the corner of the studio and they go my god we need somebody to come and stand in front of the camera and you do it you don't start you know I think that happens for quite a few people not Mm. everybody because there are plenty of people that have gone and this has been the great dream forever and they've worked their way up but I don't think there's anything wrong or shameful like oh god I fluked my way in it's like Paul Murray you know, we were yeah. speaking the other week about how he was emceeing a little athletics carnival when he was 15 and then next thing you know got seen by somebody and ended up at Triple J. Like, yeah, right, right, You right. know, and then sort of yeah. managed yeah. to get his way where he gets it. So yes. I think that happens yes. to a lot of people. Um, so despite the fact that you've fallen into it and you didn't ever plan to get into it and, and all of those kind of things, what would your advice be to, be, uh, to people who do want to get into the industry? I think by example, if you were to look at, my story, you'd have to go a bit of persistence, mm-hmm. a bit of faux confidence and thinking that you're better than you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but then if you look at all those things I've said yes to, some of them quite perilous, like, you know, looking, even looking now at Family Double Dare on paper, you'd have to go, that's the dumbest bit of shit <laughs> I've ever seen. And celebrity dog school. perilous but in the long run. No. And that's the point. When I first started, I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. I'm going to try and do everything in the business I can by the time I'm 30. So I can look back at age 30 and go, okay, I want to do that. I want to do this or I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So I would say be open to new ideas and don't say no to things. Mm. Um, because if I'd said no to Family Double Dare, I wouldn't be here with you now. If I'd said no to Celebrity Splash or Celebrity Dog School or Main Event or Cash Bonanza or Surprise Wedding or <laughs> F, Very Best of the World's Worst Drivers, one, two, three, four, five. Like if I'd said no to any of those... yeah. I wouldn't be here doing the morning show. Exactly. So have a more global view on your on your thinking. There's also something, you know, when executives or when bosses are coming to you and you are the person that keeps saying no and well, they, they need they somebody to front it. They won't keep coming back. They won't keep coming back. Now, it's a risky business at the same time mm. because that's not a guaranteed path of success by any means. I know 10 other game show hosts who are out of work. Yeah. So, you know, and that's why I keep coming back to, to, to luck. You know, I'm not, I can't say that I'm the best guy in this business but I've been lucky the whole way. But that's been me saying yes to things, exploring new things and learning new skills along the way. Cash Bonanza taught me, you know, like to stand on, in an audience, a huge, huge audience and run a show as live. And that's, a, that's something, that's a tool I can put in the toolkit mm-hmm. and bring up later on. So persistence, 
and then a nice global sort of open view on how the career goes. Um, I think that I can let you go now. Good, because the boss wants her office. <laughs> can I just say, though, um, for somebody who wasn't wearing headphones this entire time, when we sat down, I almost demanded that you wear yes, them because I'm, I'm a, I was a bit bitchy because I'm a stickler for good audio quality. You have spectacular mic technique well, with no headphones. <laughs> I didn't have any faith in you. You said you knew how to handle it and you've done a very good job. Well, I'd like a reference for my CV <laughs> okay. on the mic technique. I'll give you one. Thank you so much, hey, Great Larry. to see you, Ray. You too. Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes and keep up to date, head to you've got to start somewhere.com. Howdy, keen listener. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Larry Emder. If you head to the show notes page, which you can find at you've got to start somewhere.com, And if you're listening to this show after it's released, just type Larry in the search bar and it'll pop up. I have uh, collected a few select YouTube clips of some of Larry's earlier work and I am absolutely devastated that nothing from the celebrity dog school days seems to exist. If you happen to have some just in your private collection for whatever reason, I'm not here to judge, please send it on through. There's a contact page there at the website, which is how you can get a hold of me. Uh, If you would like to create your own podcast, you can always head to my podcasting course, podschool.com.au, where I take you through all of the steps that it takes to get your idea from inside your brain into people's ear holes. So check that out. And next week on the show, I have today's show sports presenter, Timmy Gilbert, a lover of all things schnitzel, a delightful bloke uh, who started out in regional radio like many of us do. And he tells a tale of those early days when he used to fang around Goulburn in his champagne-coloured Sigma. For 10 months, I couldn't fix the reverse, so I had no reverse, and I didn't have enough money to fix it. So I had to drive far enough. I had to park far enough away from the car in front. I was always going forward. It was an anecdote lie. The Sigma could only go forwards. I didn't even know it was possible for a car to run out of reverse. Yeah, they, they could back then. Hard to imagine him rolling around in a car like that these days, but it's a good visual. I hope you'll join me for that chat next week. I'll see you then.